Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? Welcome to the 100th episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. We are so happy to have you here for this momentous occasion. I cannot believe that this is 100 episodes already. It feels like just yesterday that we put this ship out to sea and oh my, the places that we visited, the wonderful guests that we've had and the terrific conversations about the game of Keyforge that have taken place here on Help From Future Self. Please let me introduce you to the crew of this ship. Starting things off, a founding member of Team Help From Future Self, the heart and soul of our local Keyforge community here in Vancouver, a dedicated student of the game since day one. It's the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. How's it going, buddy? Hey, I'm back. Great to have you here and would not dream of doing this episode without you. Next up, we've got the new kid on the block. She is a research expert, an organized play <laughs> specialist, and a person who brings new insight and ideas and energy to this podcast every single week. Please welcome Sydney Steele. Oh, that was so sweet. Hello, everyone. And finally, the captain of the ship, the executive producer, engineer, and visionary who originally conceived of help from future self and continues to guide it with a wise hand, episode to episode, week to week, month to month, and year to year. We call him coach because that's the role he fulfills in our community. It's Boulevard Plague. What's going on, buddy? Hey man, wow, that was uh, that was quite the speech. And of course, we have you, Scuzzy, who is the voice that everyone knows and loves and is the person who I would say more often than not is actually leading what we're going to talk about each week. And we can always rely on you to, to be there for us and, you know, provide that great wisdom and well, wisdom, especially because this isn't your first podcast rodeo. So we, we greatly <laughs> appreciate you for always uh, being here for us. I am but a humble servant. Um, I am so excited for this week's episode. Is everybody ready to get going? Absolutely. Let's do this. So this is going to be a king-sized episode or a queen-sized episode of Help from Future Self because we're going to be revisiting all kinds of previous segments. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite episodes. We've got a contest, which I'm very excited about, as well as all kinds of other little bits and pieces. The idea for this special 100th episode is that we want to do what we like to think of as a hop-on episode of Help from Future Self. So we're going to revisit all of our historical segments. We're going to have recommended episodes from our 100 episodes uh, episode history. Uh, we're going to have a really cool contest. But the big idea here is that we want to give a real taste of everything that we've done so far in Help from Future Self. And so then if you're a dedicated listener to the podcast and you want to recommend it to somebody and they say, well, where should I start listening? You can go episode 100. That's the, the taster. That's the one that gives you a real idea of what that podcast is all about. Before we start getting into our classic segments, I wanted to start things off with something maybe a little sentimental. Um, I wanted every one of us to contribute a Keyforge memory, just something special from playing the game of Keyforge that you've carried with you and that sort of is a thing that makes you feel good about the game when you think about it. Something that just, when it comes to mind, brings a smile to your face and really sort of helps reaffirm your love for the game when you think about it. Uh, we'll start off with Rick. Rick, can you share a special Keyforge memory with all of us? Actually, I've got two. Excellent. And one... And they actually both, not at the same location exactly, but basically across the street from each other. One was my my first and only win at an Archon 
solo tournament at Rain City. It used to be called One Stop Shop. It's a three round Archon. I took my very first my very first time traveler deck, V A Vosgi of the Free Plane. Took down all three rounds. I won three and zero. I think Blake was working that night, so he didn't make it. But I believe Alex was there. I was. Correct me if I'm wrong. I was indeed. It was a great night. And the second part of that was the birth of Health and Future Self, was which would have happened across the street after an event at Rain City. All right, that was good times at that that little pub there that we just uh, grabbed a couple of drinks and hashed everything out. Yep. Sydney, do you have a KeyForge memory you can share with us? I sure do. So um, I'm in Chicago. I'm located a little north of Chicago, Illinois. So my um, team and I, we drove up to a prime championship over the border into Wisconsin. It was a two plus hour drive for all three of us. And um, we we ended up playing a couple rounds before I was able to get my uh, Cincinnati Rex and Golden Spiral combo out um, on the board. And it was really exciting for me because I hadn't actually gotten it done for like successfully before. But um, what was really cool about that was um, my opponent had enough Amber to forge their third key on their next turn. So I needed to to kill off all their creatures to pull off the triumph that I had drawn into on uh, my last turn. But um, since I had no other way out of of winning the game, I had no other way of stopping him. I decided instead of sitting there and doing the math in my head, if I could pull this off, I I just went for it. And um, what was really cool about about that whole situation was as I'm taking this longer and longer turn, I'm, I'm not sitting there thinking about it. I'm actually I'm manipulating the cards and attacking and and refreshing with Cincinnatus Rex. Um, the people mulling about waiting around for the, the next round to start just wandered over and the crowd around me just grew larger and larger. And, and so did the excitement because everybody was just waiting to see if I could pull it off within the rule of six. Um, and, and somebody from the store even like walked over with a, a die just like for, it was a D six. So I could like sh- show how many times I'd used my, uh, Cincinnatus Rex. And um, it, it just felt like the whole store erupted with me in cheers <laughs> and when I took out the last creature uh, and was able to play my triumph, even though it, it probably wasn't that dramatic in reality. I'll always remember it that way. That's a great memory. <laughs> I, love I love that. Blake, can you share with us a special Keyforge memory? Yeah, well, I misunderstood the assignment and uh, <laughs> I thought it was within the realm of help from future self as well. So it's it's kind of tied hey, in. That is a Keyforge memory. Yeah. So my favorite Keyforge memory was at a time when we were playing an event, probably just a weekly regular event at one of our Keyforge stomping grounds, Stronghold Games. And we actually had some guests in town that we hadn't seen before who had come from Brazil. And I think they were studying here in Vancouver. And uh, after we played our weekly Chainbound event, uh, I did my usual rounds, which is anyone new, is I like to introduce myself, introduce them to the podcast and try and, you know, get more people involved with Keyforge content as it's being created. And I, I went up to this uh, young gentleman and I said, hey, I just want to introduce myself. And, and I, I said my name and stuff. And he was like, oh, I know who you are. Like my friends and all of us in Brazil, we listen to you all the time. And I was less oh like more by that like thing, like the fact that we had a reach in Brazil from creating this podcast was like such a like happy memory that we were not just in North America, but we were becoming internationally known for this, this uh, help from future self project that we started. And that is one of my favorite Keyforge memories. It's nice to know that you're not shouting into the void. <laughs> yes, Indeed. Absolutely. 
my special Keyforge memory is uh, when the great target buy-up of uh, Worlds Collide leaked starter sets happened, and Blake, you came back from Las Vegas Vault Tour with Keyforge decks from the, at that point, unreleased in Canada set for us to play with and for our local community to play with. The fun we had with just playing those decks and like discovering them and feeling the like coolness and energy of a new set. That is my special Keyforge memory because it was everything I love about Keyforge. It was discovery. It was excitement. It was seeing powerful cards do things that you didn't think that they would necessarily do in bizarre scenarios. And it was genuinely the feeling of like, this is everything that I want from Keyforge. This is everything that I get from Keyforge when Keyforge is at its absolute best. That was one of the funnest nights of Keyforge that I've ever played. Just casual play between friends, no stakes, just people sitting down together and playing the game. And I loved it. It was a very special Keyforge memory for me. Mm, yeah, I miss our casual connections nights. I, I That is going to be one of the things I'm most looking forward to returning uh, when... All of this, he said, pointing around him, is all <laughs> over. Absolutely. So let's dig in and get into some of our classic Keyforge segments. Um, these are things that games that we used to play as just sort of like conversation stimulators. The idea being that, you know, we would have sort of a, a premise and then we would all contribute to it. And we're going to start things off with, I think, probably the most well-known one and the one that I'm most excited to play this week, Rick you're going to take us through a classic Would You Rather. Yeah, but there's a little twist on this one. I'm not going to do card for card. I'm going to do house set by set. Would Ooh. you rather Logos in AOA or Worlds Collide? Blake, start with you. Oh, that's an easy one. That's that's definitely a Worlds Collide for me because, uh, I mean, it's I, I guess you could could argue that uh, the Mass Mutation Logos is really good, but I, I really enjoy the Worlds Collide Logos. It's one of my favorite houses in the entire game. Sydney? I am all about the AOA Logos. I think it's the most fun. It's when a lot of combinations actually started getting into Logos, where if you had the right three or four cards, the coolest thing would happen. I'm definitely AOA Logos. Alex? I'm with Sydney on this one. Uh, I don't think that there's any question that one of the most powerful houses in the history of Keyforge is Logos and Worlds Collide. It is just absolutely banging beginning to end. And very rarely do you come across a Logos uh, uh, outlay in Worlds Collide that isn't pretty good. But AOA has lots of fun little fiddly things that I really like about it. I really dig the fact that it has things like Eureka. I like the fact that you can do weird combos like Archimedes with a Neutron Shark. I'm very into Brig as a combo. So I, I think just on purely on the basis of my own personal preferences, I would say AOA while acknowledging the fact that Worlds Collide Logos might be the most powerful house in the history of the game. What about you, Rick? I would also go with AOA for one reason, and I think Blake and Alex will both remember this. There was a time when there was a battle line placement thing, I'll call it, between Archimedes and other things, other cards. But I absolutely loved when you could you could archive the entire battle line because I absolutely, <laughs> as a card, love Sutterkin. 
Yeah, I, I loved when uh, Archimedes wasn't corrected to the way it is now and it was the entire battle line got archived. I thought that from a board wipe, I thought that was such a fun little thing that happened. I can understand why they fixed it, but oh, that was so much fun when you got to pull that off. It was. All right, moving along to another classic segment. Sydney has never actually gotten to play this one with us before. But she's going to be the one taking us through it. There's a little something that we like to call over-under. Sydney, take it away. All right. So the uh, first one I have for you guys is I have an over-performer. So this one is called Proclamation 346E. It is a sanctum artifact that reads, while your opponent does not control creatures from three different houses, their keys cost plus two amber. And I feel like I completely went into games underestimating how hard it would be for my opponent to keep three different creatures on the board from three different houses, especially when I knew it would get them off a key, I would just remove one of their creatures. So it definitely was an overperformer for me. That's one of my favorite cards. I recently bought a deck specifically for that and it has the ganger knot combo with a champion's challenge, which by the way, that is such a bonkers combo, having Ganger Knot with Champion's Challenge because you just set up a clear board for you to to reap away. And then it also makes Proclamation that much stronger because then they don't have creatures on the board. So yeah, I love that card so much, Sydney. I'm with you on that for being an overperformer. That sounds like a great combo. Oh, it's amazing. So I have I have an under for you as well. So this might be debatable, but for me, especially after the recent hubbub about archives, my underperformer is Desenia from Logos. So Desenia reads, on play, your opponent discards each of their archived cards. You gain one amber for each card discarded this way. And it's a creature with four power. So once archives were increased in power and in probability throughout the Logos and in general, most most houses have a single way, if not more, to archive cards. Desenia was supposed to be this end-all, be-all of archive decks. And I honestly think with the, with the timing and the chaining of holding the card, it hasn't performed as well as I hoped it would for me. I would agree with you there, Sydney. Um, honestly, Desanya had a lot of smoke about it when, uh, you know, as you said, we were starting to see more and more and more archiving and we were starting to see the really powerful archiving decks, especially when Edai was like a big card in the meta and stuff like that. And honestly, like, I've never had a deck that consistently did big things with Desanya. Obviously, once in a while, you pull off something crazy with it. You really ruin your opponent's plans, but it's not that frequent that it happens. Yeah, I'm. I know what you're saying. I, I think the threat of Desanya is more strong than Desanya itself, actually, because when I you have a deck that you has all that archiving, you're kind of like, okay, do I? You you kind of feel like there's a gun to your head in a way. You're like, I got, I can't just save my archives. I got to pull it because I got six cards in there now. That's a key. If I literally, if they get their Desanya, so I think just the presence of Desanya has more of effect than Desanya itself. Especially if you're playing against the uh, giant creature in uh, Mass Mutation, the Logos giant creature who archives cards mm. upon play. Mm -hmm. If you can play Desenia next turn, then they, they think twice about playing it. Excellent. So I have, I have one more for you guys. Um, and unfortunately, it's another underperformer. Uh, this one is Causal Loop. So this one is another Logos 
uh, but this one's an action. It's upon play, archive a card and archive causal loop. So I have a deck with this one that actually has a, um, a draw pip on it. And so I was super excited to get to play this card. And I thought maybe that with the draw pip, I would continue to archive this card and another card and my, my hands would just keep refreshing. And I thought it was going to combo a lot more than it did. It basically increased the efficiency of my other houses because it got causal loop out of the way. But I don't think that it was the the big archiving mega combo that it was it was made out to be. Mm, I'm with you on that one, Sydney. It's uh, it's been more of a disappointment than a boon for sure. I've I found some ways where it has some some nice synergy, and it's especially if you can uh, get it comboing off with Novu Dynamo or Munchling when you need that Ooh. card from Logos in your archive. It's really nice in that sense because it's like kind of like a guarantee you know it's there. But I also found, I played a deck recently, which wasn't my own, in the uh, the Time Shapers uh, Versatile League where I played someone else's deck. And it was an Archivist deck that had it. And it was really strong if you have Archivist because mm. you can Archive Archivist and then you can pull the loop just when you need it and keep putting stuff in there and just pick and choose what you want. But you're, you're right, it's quite situational, I think. I'm going to disagree a little bit. I also have a deck, my favorite Worlds Collide deck, or sorry, Mass Mutation deck, that has causal loop with a draw pip. And I find that I actually use it quite a lot. And it helps to have a lot of other draw, but just being able to like throw it down, draw a card, decide what's going back into your archive with it anytime you call logos, I find has like turnover, turnover, turn advantage. Like if you get it early enough and you can use it enough times, it ultimately does give you card advantage over the course of a game. So I don't think it's like a, a world ender or like a game breaker, but I do think that it has a lot of value if it's got the right pip on it and if it's in the right deck. You know what? I'll give you that. That definitely does work sometimes. All right. Moving right along going to be talking about one of our newer segments, one that Sydney and I got to break out just a couple of episodes ago. This one is going to be all me, and we like to call it Dis's Advocate. This is when we take on common Keyforge wisdom, and we play the devil's advocate with it. We try and think of scenarios in which it doesn't apply, and I'm taking on the piece of advice that I myself give to absolutely everybody that we have reiterated on this podcast so very many times. Play your decks. Always be playing your decks. Learn your decks inside and out. Get to know them. Get to love them. Get to learn them so that you know how they play without even having to think about it. So it can be extinctual. How could you possibly argue against that piece of advice? I actually think that early on in a set or early on when you're getting into the game, one of the best things you can do rather than focusing on a single deck is to play as many different decks as humanly possible. Maybe that means going on TCO and just playing a ton of sealed games. Maybe that means that you bought four or five decks and instead of focusing on one that seems like it's the best or the most fun, you make sure that you play each of them in sequence a bunch of different times. The reasoning for this is very straightforward. I think that Keyforge as a game is so variable based on deck that spending too much time with a single deck, especially when you're in a period of discovery, either for the game itself or for a brand new set, it can be detrimental. It can give you strange ideas about the way that set plays. It can hobble your learning of how the set plays as a whole. Obviously, there's a huge advantage to knowing one deck inside out, but 
I think it's great to get a basis of knowledge across as many different decks as possible in a new set or when you're just learning the game before you start doing that. Then you can really start focusing in on these are my favorites. I like them because they play this way. There's lessons to be learned from just playing these decks over and over and over and over and over till you really get to learn them. But I think that there's a huge amount of advantage just jumping in, not really knowing everything and just playing a bunch of different decks and seeing what happens. I like it. I like that one too. I used to be a buy a display see what looks fun and play it and leave everything else. But as Blake helped me realize just with this past Christmas with that French Worlds Collide, I played every deck one time before I moved on to my next stuff that I got. And it it helped me a lot for play styles each deck had and what I was more in tune with. It helped me immensely. And I think I'm going to continue doing that going forward. There's actually also another secret fun way, a uh, fun reason to play lots of different decks. Um, on the Crucible Tracker, there's actually a handful of achievements that you can get. And I really, really like when another one's added to my list. And so I'd, uh, I'd have to play a lot of different decks to be able to cover all the bases to get all of those achievements. I'm still actually trying to find those achievements. I don't know where to get them yet. Got to get those Chivos, buddy. Got to make sure you get all (laughs) those Chivos. Moving right along, this one's an all-time classic. You heard me call Blake Coach off the top of the episode, and the reason for that's very straightforward. Myself, Rick, many other people locally, and from listening to this podcast, have taken a lot of lessons from Blake. He's a person who thinks about the game, who learns about the game, and then likes to convey his knowledge about the game through talking on this podcast, through his many YouTube videos, and through now his Twitch streams in which he walks you through decks, walks you through how he plays those decks and his thought processes. It's always enlightening to me. This is a little something we like to call Coach's Corner. Take it away, Blake. Well, that's a perfect segue because uh, my Coach's Corner for this uh, centennial episode is play every deck you open. So that that worked out quite well because we did not plan this. this. is We didn't tell each other what we were doing, so... Um, And the reason I have for this is I have been creating content for my YouTube. And as a result, I've been opening a lot of decks and we've been blessed lately with a lot of sales. I think because of the climate in the world, uh, people trying to clear out their inventory because storage is at a premium in the world. And so I've been able to accumulate a lot of boxes, which gives me the opportunity to open a lot of decks. And I decided basically when Mass Mutation dropped because of the pips on it, there was a reason to actually unwrap every deck you had and see where the pips were, etc. And so I started making sure I played all those decks. And uh, having a stream helped as well, because then it provided decks to use for the stream. And um, it just made me have this philosophy of play every deck you open. And the reason I feel this is so crucial is to not write a deck off is you may never play it again. But that's the irrelevant point because Keyforge is not like other games. You don't have the ability to net deck, see a deck list being created, and then have evidence of someone using that deck and see the way they pull out the combos within the deck, the way the winning strategy is of that deck, and then everyone and their dog has the same deck list and is using it with maybe one or two variations. But essentially, you're always doing the same thing. So because there are no ways to really know how to play a deck other than actually playing the deck, 
it's important to play every deck you open because you're going to see more combinations of cards that are available. You're going to see the random things and the generation that the algorithm does for different sets and different decks and different houses and then the interaction between those houses. So I think it just provides this platform of you understanding the game better because you're going to have this moment where you weren't thinking about anything and then suddenly you look in your hand and you see, oh my goodness, this card with that card is going to create this outcome. And you never got to do that before. And sometimes that outcome explicitly happens because you're playing against another set that has a particular card that if you're playing sealed, it wouldn't exist. Like these cool things can happen. And if you're not playing every deck you open, A, you don't know what it's about. You don't start to figure out, as Alex said, the type of decks you like because you may find out, oh my goodness, I never thought I would ever play uh, X house with this house together and enjoy it so much, but I absolutely loved it. What else is in my collection now that I may be overlooked? Like it provides that platform as well and at the end of the day doing this also makes you a better sealed player because you're getting to understand decks faster i find since i've done this i feel i'm a much stronger player than when i was focusing on a few decks and getting as much reps as possible now that being said i think there are two types of keyforge players some that are the committed players so to speak and they're very committed to one deck they love that relationship with it and want to get to know it for the the long haul so to speak uh, they're married to it you could say and then there's the the wanderer or the wayfinder of the keyforge world who likes to just go out and see what exists and explore what possibilities the crucible offers i'm going to go into much more detail on this in my uh, weekly key thoughts this week because i really like this concept and i want to really go into a deep dive about those two types of players but in the meantime take my advice and play every deck you open from here on out. Make that commitment to yourself. There's a lot of reasons, especially without being tournament play, that you're not really losing much by doing that. You're only discovering more. And that's essentially what Keyforge is all about. That's why we call him coach, baby. Excellent stuff. Final segment that we're all going to be doing together from the classic segments before we get into some other stuff here. Why don't we talk a little bit about C plus faves. This is something that we haven't done in a long time. And it was just sort of a, a fun little thing where because we're not just about competition here on Help From Future Self, we enjoy casual play. Sometimes we love playing suboptimal decks and indeed suboptimal cards just because of the fun of it, just because we like the idea, the concept, the art, something about it, the flavor of something appeals to us. We're going to be playing a little C plus faves. Blake went and put together what he felt were the C-plus houses of Keyforge per set. So the underperforming houses. And we're each going to talk a little bit about one of our faves. Let's get things started with Rick. Rick, what's your C-plus favorite house and from which set? It's Worlds Collide Untamed. I've been a very big fan of Untamed the entire way through. But I will say that Untamed in Worlds Collide wasn't great. But I absolutely loved and Blake will agree with me on this. I love the Morwolf decks. Mm, I wanted yeah. as many as I possibly could get. I finally actually found one. Blake gave me the first one that I ever got. Thank you, Blake. No problem. But I actually finally opened my own, and I just love that card. Top-notch stuff. Sydney, what's your C-plus fave house? 
So I actually have to agree with you about uh, Worlds Collide Untamed. I uh, one of my one of my favorite decks, actually the one I I mentioned in my memory. Uh, one of the houses is Untamed, and I just go to town archiving all of those Untamed cards because my my Eddies need. Uh, archive fodder. So um, there, there are a handful of cards there that are just so fun to get off, but there is just no way they are going to be used in a strategy to win. So one of my favorites uh, in, in that deck and in Untamed is Song of the Wild. So I usually, when I get that card in my hand, for some reason, just don't have Untamed creatures on the board. So having it in my hand makes it perfect for archiving. Top-notch stuff. For my part, I'm going to bend the rules a little bit because I don't think that any reasonable person would consider this a, a C-plus house. I think everybody would call this probably a D-minus. Let's talk a little bit about Brobnar and Worlds Collide, the most hated house. <laughs> the one that put Brobnar in the ground because it was so despised by players the world over. Look. I'm not going to make the argument that it's actually great in any way, shape, or form. It has so many dud cards. It has so many things that just make you go, oh, that's terrible. How will I ever get to play barn raising? With that said, <laughs> there's lots of little things that I really like about it. I love Igon the Green and Igon the Terrible as a concept. I don't think it actually worked out that well, but I really liked the idea, and I hope if and when Brobnar comes back, we might revisit it. I love Shorty. I think that guy's an amazing card, and I loved the idea of one action will cause you to be enraged. So he's definitely a fighter, but with other options as well. I'm a big fan of the big one because I think it alters the game in an interesting way. And there's lots of fun little cards. Skull, Slimy Jerk, Stiltkin. If there had been better amber control and perhaps a few less duds or even a few more pips of amber to bring those duds up to at least having some more value, I think it could have been a really great house. But unfortunately, just very underpowered for a set that had such huge power in logos, in the Saurians and Star Alliance. In most cases, it just wasn't going to go. There are a few truly great banger WC Brobnar decks out there, and I hope that you get the opportunity to play one sometime because they can be a lot of fun. My favorite Worlds Collide Brobnar card to hate on is NARP. <laughs> Everyone's punching bag. And I've got a lot of NARP. Double NARP and single NARP. Yeah. I got two. Mega much NARP. Of it. Yep. <laughs> Blake, what about <laughs> too you? Much. Um, for me, uh, my favorite is actually from a newer set, and that is, I think uh, we can all agree that Shadows and Mass Mutations is uh, a little bit underperforming in terms of the other houses that are there. I think the main reason being is that the main damage pip being the the one that's enhancing cards through different things there. Like you just have so many vanilla cards that all they did was put damage pips out there, which seems like a really odd thing to be in Shadows. And um, the reason why I like it, though, is not just because of Rad Penny, although that is a great reason to love Shadows, Mass Mutations, is I actually really enjoy it because you can have unique situations that occur where you have an elusive board that's presented through the abundance of elusive creatures in Mass Mutations and also the way that you can have mutants trigger um, or friendly creatures even being triggered with if they have ember on them, they become elusive. And I find you can have a really oppressive board state when you have a board of five or six elusive shadow creatures because if you don't have a board wipe, 
you're most likely not going to be able to efficiently clear that because it's going to take two creatures for every one that's out there and you can just create this board state where you're reaping out every turn with your shadows creatures and unless they have some way of fighting or the board wipe like i said like mass fighting you can actually really create a a uh in balance of game state where you're just having that advantage of generating ember faster than they can deal with your board and that's why i really like the shadows I really like shadows in Worlds Collide as well. I agree with you, they're underwhelming, but there's lots of like little really good mass cards. Mutation. Or sorry, in Mass Mutation. There's lots of cards that I really dig. Like Borrow, I mm -hmm. think, is just absolutely fantastic. Some of the best artifact control going. I like yeah. Bonithing a lot. Um Johnny Longfingers presents lots of interesting oh, opportunities. Love um like good meat and potatoes stuff, like look over there. Um, you know, Reckless Rizzo is kind of one of those threats that always has to be addressed. Like, there's lots of good, fun little things you can do with it. It just doesn't always come together. And oftentimes you find yourself looking down the barrel of a, a splinter or two going, what am I supposed to do with this? Why is this mutant cut purse here? Who invited that guy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate that card. But I think it also is a testament to mass mutations that that is arguably maybe the worst house. Because it's it's a great set. Like honestly, I think they they did very well with balancing a mass mutation. Because even though that is considered the weaker, I think it stands way stronger than some other houses in previous sets. So it's good that we're seeing that sort of um, balanced sort of situation in terms of every house has something to offer, so to speak. Top notch. Let's move on to looking towards the future. Obviously, at this time, we're still in kind of a state where we don't know when we're going to be able to all get our hands on on Dark Tidings. Um, we're obviously very excited to play the new set. Um, Blake and I have been just going absolutely out of our minds because we haven't looked at any spoilers. So every once in a while, I'll be on Reddit or on Twitter or something, and someone will make mention of a new card, and I'll be like, what does that do? What are they talking about? No, I'm not going to look. I just want to discover for myself. But, you know, it, it might still be weak or even you know up to a month before we get to see any decks still well of course we'll be talking about it when we get a hold of them on the podcast but this is a little thing that i'm going to call keyforge wish each of us is going to say a thing that we want in the game of keyforge going forward something that we would love to see in keyforge let's start things off with rick rick what's your keyforge wish what's the one thing you'd like to see going forward in the game of keyforge i always love seeing a new house being brought in and discovering it, learning it, what it likes to do, why it's there. But more specifically, I want the houses that had to do with the anomalies that we saw in Worlds Collide. Mm. Excellent one. That's really good. I had almost forgotten about anomalies, weirdly enough. Uh, during the Worlds Collide French sale that uh, Stronghold had, I opened a Valacanth. Nice. Oh, nice. That guy's going to be pretty cool going forward. Sydney, what's yep. your Keyforge wish? So besides in-person events, which is really what I'm looking forward to most, but is absolutely going to come back. So uh, that's kind of a, a cop out there. Um, I'm actually looking forward to a regular release schedule. So uh, based on what you what you said to uh, introduce this segment i really want there to be something to look forward to on a regular basis and shipping problems aside i honestly think what it's been almost a year since we got a a, a, how, a new uh, set come out so i really want there to be something to continue to look forward to something to to keep the buzz going something to keep us all excited about what's coming up excellent blake what's your keyforge wish 
My key for to wish more Mavericks. Okay. I want Mavericks <laughs> to still be rare, but not as rare as they are right now. Cause I find that it provides such interesting possibilities, like having a Maverick Fandangle, for example, because it allows you to see and discover something that wouldn't normally be possible within the game of Keyforge. And I think that the exchange officer in Star Alliance was a really great step in that direction. So even having exchange officer maybe be a little bit more common, so it provides that Maverick possibility. But just seeing more Mavericks, I, I just think it's one of the coolest aspects of the game because you're getting a completely different looking card. And then, like I said, it provides new ways to discover play possibilities. So I want more Mavericks. And just to briefly jump off of what Blake said about Fendangle, an even better way to get a Maverick Fandangle is when there's no Untamed in the deck. Yeah, that would be so good. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Uh, my Keyforge wish is a big one. I want to see a Keyforge-specific gaming tournament event where it's going to be multi-day, and I want it to have every flavor of Keyforge representative. So I want to see it be Vault Tour tier in terms of stakes, prize wall, everything else. I want there to be tons of organized pods for people to play in. I want there to be opportunities for casual play, and I want there to be opportunities for cooperative play with the new adventure sets that they have coming out. Um, I think after this lengthy period of there being no organized play, it would be incredible if we could all plan to meet somewhere and then have that multi-day gaming experience where we just get to indulge in our love of Keyforge, play all kinds of different games of Keyforge, and really experience the entirety of what Keyforge has to offer, both as a community and as a game. I think that'd be amazing. I would make plans to attend such an event at the drop of a hat. Yes, please. You basically just planned a Keyforge convention. We have to do this now. <laughs> I don't want to be- Help future self Keyforge convention. Oh my yes. God. You <laughs> well, uh, I don't want to delve too, too much into it yet because it's still in the infancy stages, but a competitive convention versus of Canada versus the U.S. has been talked about. Yeah, a nice little online tourney. Yeah. That I cannot wait for that to happen. A lot of fun because Canada brings the heat. We're coming for you, Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to see a house divided, but if it comes down to Canada versus the U.S., then uh, we'll be we'll be rocking the red and white. Cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. We're all going to be participating in this one. You know it. You love it. It's called Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. This is a segment wherein each of us gives a little Keyforge lesson that we've learned over the course of our Keyforge uh, gaming experiences. A little something that we carry with us and we want to make sure that other people are aware of. Just a little bit of advice. Why don't we get things started? Uh, we'll go in reverse order this time. Blake, give me a little help from future self. Well, my help from future self over the course of the game is rules are made to be broken. That's right. <laughs> the more you play the game, the more the rules that you learn early on become less relevant and you need to play to your deck. That means sometimes you got to hold cards. That means sometimes you got to keep that 2-2-2 two, two, two hand because guess what? Inside that 2-2-2 two, two, two hand is one of your key components to winning the game. So I just think that moving forward sometimes... I've learned is that even though you have all these ingrained rules from early on, as you get to know your deck and know the rules and why they exist, you got to break them. Love it. Sydney, give me a help from future self. 
So I'm gonna bend this into simply a lesson that I've I've learned over the course of playing Keyforge. And that that has to be that being a positive part of the Keyforge community has been incredibly rewarding and the most fulfilling aspect of being involved in Keyforge. I love Amen. the game. I will throw down any day, but the people that I'm playing with and talking to make this game what it is. I love Absolutely it. agree. Great one. Rick, can you favor us with a little help from future self? I'm actually going to just reiterate something that we heard from Alex first, but I still keep making this mistake. Just take that extra couple seconds to read the cards, <laughs> even if you think you know what it is, because there are still cards out there that I think are one thing, but aren't. And yeah, I just play autopilot and screw up. And it's cost me games recently. That's a great, good piece of advice. And I'm not just saying that because I said it on an episode <laughs> many, many moons ago. My piece of uh, Keyforge advice, my help from future self is if you're ever thinking about, man, it would be fun to make Keyforge videos or it'd be fun to have a Keyforge podcast or it would be fun to write Keyforge articles or it would be fun to participate in the Keyforge community as a content creator, just do it. There is no reason for you not to do it. We are at a point now where I think that there is a lot of great Keyforge content out there, but I do not think that there is enough Keyforge content out there. There can be room enough for every perspective, every podcast, everybody who wants to make videos, everybody who wants to write articles. I feel like anybody who brings their own unique perspective to that is contributing to the community. So I would encourage anybody out there, I didn't come into this game expecting that I was going to be the host on a podcast that was going to run for a hundred episodes, but being part of that has enhanced the game so much for me. It deepened my friendships with a lot of local players. And also it made me feel like uh, I was being involved in the community in a way which I wouldn't have otherwise if I hadn't just said, you know, when Blake brought the idea forward, yeah, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Don't worry about failure. Don't worry about what if I run out of ideas. Just give it a shot. Give it a whirl. The worst thing that can happen is that, you know, the first time isn't great. And then you get better with successive tries. So if you feel like doing something in Keyforge, just jump right in. Be a content creator. Participate in the game in as many different ways as you think that you'd like to. There is nothing to stop you from doing it. Heck yeah. My name is Boulevard Blake, and I support this message. <laughs> <laughs> now, normally after Help from Future Self, we would go right into the sort of like a little where can you find us, where are we doing right now kind of segment. But we do have two very special things that we're going to do right now before we get into that. First of all, we have a very special Keyforge contest. Sydney, explain to folks what's going on. Oh my gosh, I am so excited about this. So for our 100th episode, we are giving away almost 100 decks. We have eight starter boxes, each filled with 12 decks across all different houses and sets, curated really to play well against each other, which means they've been open, but they're still in shrink. So these kits include a pair of starter set rules and two sets of official cardboard tokens. So four sets of keys, but you may be asking yourself, how do you get your hands on one of these kits? Go ahead and send an email to our email address, hffspodcast at gmail.com, also in the show notes, 
with no more than a few paragraphs maybe about yourself and what you want to do with one of these kits. So whether you donate it somewhere, throw a party with it or plan a tournament, whatever it is, email us. So for the next eight weeks, we'll pick one winner a week, we'll announce you on the show and we'll send you your box. So that means the sooner that you send us an email, the more chances you have of being picked. Um, and a couple couple points of logistics. All of these decks are in English and they will be shipped from Chicago. So we will cover continental U.S. shipping, but all of our Keyforge listeners from outside of the U.S. talking to you, Brazil, please still email us so we can we can discuss shipping options and don't let that prevent you from entering. But yeah, that's that's our almost 100 deck giveaway. Excellent. I love it. Very excited about that. What's the email address again, Sydney? podcast at gmail.com. Top notch. Also, being that we want this to be an episode that you can refer to people as a jumping on point, we thought we would take a little bit of time to recommend some episodes from our 100 episode history that folks can check out if they're just listening to this podcast for the very first time, if they're just finding out about help from future self. Here's a couple of episodes that I think really sum up what we're all about. Some special and fun stuff that we've done. Episode 25 was sort of our first retrospective on Keyforge, where myself, Blake, and Rick sat down and talked about the history of the game up till that point. I think it was a real turning point in the maturation of this podcast, where Help From Future Self really became what it was going to be over time. Episode 33, where Logotarian Luke came on and taught us about the game of Lean Forge, his philosophy on how you can maintain a collection that has personal meaning and not get lost in just having too many decks. The idea of sort of like a zen-like balance in your collection that brings you happiness and makes sure that you're focusing on what's important to you. Episode 43, where Sealed Adaptive was talked about, a deep dive into a format that we love here in Vancouver that we would love to see spread far and wide. We go into the advantages, how you play it, and how you can sell it to other players in your community. It's one of the best and funnest ways that you can play Keyforge, and I think that that episode really gets to the heart of why that's the case. Episodes 47 through 54, we went through every house in the history of Keyforge, their entire history up till that point. We had lots of amazing guests from uh, the uh, entirety of the Keyforge community. Big shout out to Lady A, big shout out to uh, uh, Vampire Polite Talk and all the other folks who joined us. What's up, Jupiter? Um, I love those episodes because they really let us dig in on the game and into the individual houses in a way that I think will be evergreen. Um, more things will come about with time and eventually we might even revisit this concept. But I think right now that's a really good indication of one of the things that we've done uh, really well on this podcast in terms of analysis. Go to episode 61 if you want to hear our crossover with Call of Discovery, where we played a Jeopardy style trivia game. Super fun. We love Call of Discovery. They are a sister podcast to us. Zach and Ed are just the salt of the Keyforge Earth. Um, just total crucible champions and we loved the opportunity to do this again and maybe just maybe another one coming up very very soon if all goes according to plan 
Can't forget about episodes 66 and 67. It was the Keyforge RPG. We played the Maw of Abraxas. Blake was our storyteller, our GM, our games master, the dungeon master, if you will, who led me and Rick through a Keyforge adventure. It was super fun and I think a very different kind of episode, but one that really let us dig in on some of the lore and setting stuff that I think really fascinates all of us when we talk about Keyforge. It's not just about the game. It's about the flavor of the game. It's about the setting of the game. And what better way to uh, explore it than by taking on a character and actually walking through the crucible and finding out all of the magical and mystical things it has to offer. Finally, I want to give a big recommendation to episode 92. That was the very first episode that we had Sydney on. It was about key cheats, and it was the moment that Blake and I realized that we needed to have Sydney as part of our regular crew just because it was so much fun. I thought that there was a lot of interesting insight. I thought the chemistry was great, and I think a lot of our listeners agreed with us because we immediately started getting bombarded with requests for, when will Sydney be back on? So... <laughs> a terrific episode. Give any of those a shot. And uh, please, if you're a regular listener to this podcast and you have Keyforge friends who don't check us out, maybe give us a recommendation. This episode 100 would be a great place to start. All right. And Time also, to- if you can give us a little review on Apple Podcasts, if you happen to be listening via that platform, I think most of you are based on the stats I see. So if you can just give us a little rating on what you think of it or a review, we would really appreciate us and help grow this even bigger. Because uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that we are the first Keyforge podcast to hit the centennial mark of episodes. Because since we started, we have not missed one week pandemic sickness nothing we've all stayed true to making sure we get an episode out every week since conception so we would love if you would support us and give us a little review on apple you said it blake all right rick where can they find you online on the crucible richter 78 and on twitter at the wheeling keyforger sydney where can they find you i am sc steel on tco and discord you can, of course, find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and on Twitter and on The Crucible. Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on? You can find me on Twitter if you want to have a conversation under Boulevard Blake. That's BLVD Blake. And then uh, Boulevard Paper Fight for my YouTube if you want to check out some of the other content I do. I released my key thoughts basically every Thursday without fail, which seems to be one of the more popular segments where I give you my two cents uh, just about my weekly Keyforge activities top-notch stuff. We're going to be back at you next week with another episode of Help from Future Self. Here's to the next 100. Until then, stay forging.